Welcome to episode number 37 of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Amanda. And on today's episode, we are talking about peer-to-peer professional development. But before we get started with our conversation, uh, how are you doing? Anything exciting happening this week? So two things. Um, One thing that happened this week was I got my first shot. I'm so excited. My first Yay. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, I just like, I felt like I'm doing my part. You know what I mean? And it was like such a smooth process and I didn't wait that long at all. I'm just so happy that it finally like opened up in my County and I was able to get it. Um, and then the other thing that's happening, it happened a few weeks ago, but like it's, I'm still working on it. So I was invited to be a trainer for this uh, library supervisors series called um, Library Superheroes. And the training that I'm working on is about running successful meetings. And I was invited because the woman that's running it, she knows me, we've worked together on, you know, committees and conferences and all that stuff. So like, she knows how I run a meeting. And like, I know people are like, oh, I hate meetings and they suck and this and that. So like, I'm so excited that this is my opportunity to like totally nerd out for three hours and like do a workshop on like, you know, meetings and like the art of a meeting. Like there's definitely a science and a finesse to a meeting. And I've definitely learned a lot over the years from like holding different types of meetings. So I'm just, I'm super excited that I'm like, that I'm going to be able to do it. And then like, I definitely want to do something else with the content because I think it's kind of unique. I don't think a lot of people spend that kind of time thinking about how to run a successful meeting. Yeah. I swear. I think I just saw a tweet today that was something like, what's your favorite book on running a meeting? (laughs) I mean, you're not writing a book, but at the same time, like it obviously is something that people are thinking about even a year into COVID. So that sounds I mean, very nerdy, but very fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally nerdy. And like, I know like the biggest thing is like, oh, this meeting could have been an email. And and like, I'm totally going to have to like talk about that. But like, I think people will like appreciate it, you know, because it's so true. Right. So so stay tuned. Like I might share something exciting. It's happening in like the end of May and this is like Mm -hmm. April. So like, I still have time to develop, but I'm super excited to have the opportunity and to nerd out on something that like, I really do enjoy. I know some people don't like running meetings, but I'm totally into it. It's like totally my speed. Right. Exactly. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on with you? Uh, Just a lot of uh, wrapping up work stuff. You know, I taught my last synchronous class um, last week, and then I just finished providing feedback from my last three asynchronous tutorials and searching forms this week. So, um, you know, now I get to focus on what I get to do or can do in the last three months before maternity leave. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah, April, May, June, I'm at work and then I'm done. So it's kind of doing like finals outreach, final social media, lib guide updates, um, that kind of stuff. I'm actually working on a lib wizard tutorial on the SIFT evaluation strategy. So um, I'm trying to kind of do the finishing touches on the, the lib wizard module before I go on maternity leave. And then we eventually want to turn it into a module for class for Brightspace um, for our LMS and then do a lib guide and stuff like that. So we're going to see how much we can get done before I go out. Um, and then if not, I'll just have to 
um, finish it up when I come back. But it's exciting. It's that like limbo period, like between the semester and maternity leave. Cause like, I think there's only three more weeks to the semester. So yeah, that kind of weird time. You know what though? I think that's an exciting time because I think it gives you the opportunity to maybe think about things that you wouldn't have because you were just kind of focusing on the daily grind, you know? Yeah. So it's like right. maybe it gives you a little space to be a little creative, maybe do like things that you haven't been focusing on, updating content or lib guides or thinking about changing a lib guide. Like you never know. So I think it's like kind of like an interesting time. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I'm taking like a bird's eye view and a big picture view of like all the things I can do when I get back. And Are like, you coming back in the fall? Advance. Yeah. And we'll probably be, according to campus, we will be back like quote unquote normal, you know, maybe still with masks, but like, you know, mostly in-person classes. So it'll be a lot to be coming back to a lot of exciting stuff. So, but that also means like in-person outreach, in-person programming, instruction, and actually our buddy in the writing center, the writing center director is moving into the library in the tutoring center upstairs. So that's very exciting because we work with her on English workshops, on writing workshops, citation workshops. So I just feel like it's just going to make that relationship so much better mm -hmm. um, and happening all at the same time with coming back to normal in-person activities is going to be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so like we're a little different than everybody else. We're finishing our winter semester and we're starting our spring semester in May and we're going to remain mostly remote um, for from May to August, but then we're going to be back on site four days a week. Right. Um, and then Fridays, we're going to all be remote, oh, cool. um, but we don't know what our hours are going to be like. We haven't been told yet what the expectation is. Right. So, so we don't know, but yeah, like we're going to go back to in-person instruction in the fall. And I think people are excited, but I think, you know what, it's interesting because I think people are excited, but I think people are still going to be nervous right. at the same time. So mm -hmm. I don't know what the reaction is going to be like. I mean, there might be faculty who are, who are going to say, no, nah, maybe you shouldn't come in or, mm -hmm. you know, it might make my students uncomfortable or, you know, you just don't know. So you know, we might plan for that, but it might not be like welcomed. So. Yes, yeah, right. I wonder what the balance between um, in-person and asynchronous is going to be. I mean, especially for where I am, like from at Berkeley, a lot of stuff was asynchronous in terms of instruction. Whereas where I am now, the switch to COVID remote was really a big deal because 95% of what everybody did was in person. Right. So I'm interested to see what the swing back is going to be. Is it going to be like 50-50? Is it going to be like right, right. Know, just a little bit of, of asynchronous and back to all like in-person? I'm really interested because I dig the asynchronous personally. I like the tutorials. I like giving customized feedback and yeah. whatever, stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I think we're going to go back to a blended model or not go back to, but go like, go to a blended model where like, they're not meeting twice a week. They're yeah. like, meeting once and then doing the rest remote work, which I think is great. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a great flexibility to give a student who wants to, who's a, a full-time student, a parent, you know, yeah. full time worker, you know, like they, you think about it, they can do all of their classes in one day, you know, three, four classes in one day, and then do the rest of the work online, you know, 
Right. So that gives them a lot more flexibility. So, but I don't know, we'll see. It, it'll definitely be interesting. We'll definitely have to talk about how we're going to prepare for the fall in terms of our instruction. Right now, it seems we're focusing on space and mm. hours. So we haven't even really touched upon that yet. So we'll see. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get started with today's topic. Um, this is a topic that I am so pumped about. I love talking about <laughs> professional development and I love talking about, um, you know, peer-to-peer professional development. So like, what is it? It's, it's an opportunity for someone who is, you know, your peer, your colleague to provide you with a training on a particular skill or a concept. Um, and, you know, it's someone who's your equal. You know, and why is it important? I think there's several reasons it's important. Um, I think the first reason is that in a time like this, you know, and this is kind of goes to like, why is it relevant is that so many of our professional development funds are being slashed. And I think we forget that we all have skills and interests and expertise, and we forget to tap into that resource and, you know, use each other and teach each other things, you know? So I, I think it's so important for us to, especially in this moment to say, okay, listen, we're not getting our professional development this year, but you know, who has been, what have you been learning? You know, what, what workshops have you been doing? What is one thing that you do amazing? you know, whether it be in the classroom or whether it be anything that you do in your job that you think is unique and can you teach it to other people? I think there's so many ways to get that information out of people. Um, so today we're going to be talking about a series of, you know, questions and our experiences and sharing some ideas of, you know, how to start peer-to-peer -peer development professional development and, you know, some of the benefits and potential challenges. So why don't we get started with our experience? So what has been your experience so far with participating and or developing peer-to-peer -peer professional development? So uh, two different things that I've created um, was well, the first one is a staff development committee, which um, it was the brainchild of our university librarian where I am now at Pace, but um, myself and the other volunteers who decided to work on it with me, um, you know, we kind of took the charge that was given to us to create a committee where we would teach one another and help to boost morale. And we built some different um programming around it. So every month we have a virtual journal club where one person um, selects an article on a specific topic and then creates questions and we chat about it. Um, so it's a great way to learn about your peers, but it's also good learning together in a shared environment. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a monthly email, which really comes from the committee, but then we've heard that it can start conversations between staff members who are interested in the same article. Uh, so that's the, the staff development committee. And we're still developing stuff around that. I think we're, we're probably going to steal your wellness Wednesday idea <laughs> and make one of some of our journal clubs like that. Um, just chatting about stuff to boost morale. Mm -hmm. uh, so the other thing that you and I worked on was an e-portfolio workshop because you and I have both had e-portfolios and websites for a while. And we knew that certain people um, at our 
institution were interested in making them, but didn't know how to start. So we did a live workshop, we showed our portfolios and we scaffolded it to have them create their first couple of pages and brainstorm. Um, and we had a worksheet so that they could enter in all their information and then continue to work on it. Um, after that, and we did, we touched base with them after a couple of weeks and then a couple of months to see how it was going. So we used, you know, our experiences that we've already taught ourselves and taught it to our colleagues. And I thought it was a really good one. And then we wound up doing a, a conference presentation out of it. So, you know, it can spin off into different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really loved that, that workshop because I think it was very, like it had a specific purpose. Like you were going to complete this thing. It wasn't right. just like theory based, or it wasn't like something that wasn't actually like it was very actionable you know yeah. and like they I think what was exciting is that we had them create the few pages right then and there because it was it got them motivated I think it got the, like I think sometimes it's hard the hardest part of doing something is starting it so I think right. like having them start it in the workshop was like motivating to them yeah so I have a lot of examples here so bear with me <laughs> so some of the low stakes examples that i have is i used to do these like round tables where we talk about instructional design and um um instruction um topics um and like i just called them like round table conversations it was very low stakes you didn't have to come prepared you didn't have to read an article you weren't expected to do anything it was just guiding questions about a topic um, and, you know, we talked about things like um, how to do active learning and is it effective? We talked about what does student-led learning mean? We talked about what does instructional design mean? Like, you know, just very basic concepts, but like conversations that we were just able to have to like a, a space to talk about learning, you know? And so that was like really great. That was very low stakes. Um, to kind of step up from that, um, I facilitated this um, idea of a teaching circle. I didn't create this idea. This has been around for a very long time, um, but my um, my spin on it was um, try something new in your instruction. Mm -hmm. And the peer-to-peer -peer part came in where we were all sharing ideas with each other and we were giving each other feedback. We had like a buddy where like you would kind of share your content with your buddy and they would give you feedback on how to improve it or their thoughts on it. And it just fostered this rate, this great like collegial like attitude about like instruction. Like I'm participating in it because I'm interested and so is my colleague. And like, it was just, it was like really great, like motivator. Um, and then to really step it up from that, I facilitated and I also, um, I also guided other librarians to create their own like one week internal workshops. So I did a, a one week workshop on um, discussion boards, how to create effective discussion board questions and you know engage with students. And it was obviously, it was a volunteer based librarians who were interested in it, they could sign up and participate. Um, and I ran the workshop and it was just great. It was just another great opportunity for us to learn from each other and like take one topic and just kind of really focus on it. And then there was another peer um, who was her forte was, you know, universal design. So I helped guide her to develop her workshop and she ran a workshop, um, you know, for her peers about universal design. Mm 
And then I have two more examples. And one of them um, is called Feedback 360. And I think I've talked about it before on a few mm -hmm. episodes where, you know, librarians want to get formal feedback from you know their their peers on their instruction on specific things that they ask for like you know what is how am i talking am i you know am, do i make eye contact mm -hmm. um, what is my assessment am i engaging the students so like that kind of peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And then also, um, you know, if you consider faculty your peers, you also got faculty feedback from that as well. So that was somewhat successful. It was, you know, it was kind of hard because I think people felt awkward being observed by their peers. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as successful as I would hoped it would be. Um, and then the last example that I just love so much, and it, it was, it's a lot of effort and it was a long planning process, but I think we got so much out of it was we planned our own conference, our own internal conference for librarians, by librarians in just our institution. Um, the first year we did it, it was four days. And the second year we did it, it was three. And then we whittled it down to two, but it was literally like, seven, six, seven hours of librarians sharing their knowledge and teaching librarian, other like, you know, colleagues, things that they know, like, you know, how to improve your reference um, skills in LibChat, you know, how to catalog a certain way, how to, um, you know, how to collaborate with faculty. Like there were just all these different workshops that were created by us that mm -hmm. was 100% in that sense free, um, that I think was just such a great, um, a great opportunity that I don't think a lot of people really take advantage of. And I really loved the strategic planning aspect of it too, like, because, and every institution is going to be different, but like at Berkeley, we were split up with at eight different locations and strategic planning is really hard via Zoom or phone yeah. and to just get together and talk about like how we do things and how to make it better was really rewarding too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so those are our experiences. So what do you think are some of the benefits of peer-to-peer -peer professional development? Well, first I would say, you know, as opposed to working with strangers or acquaintances at conferences or like other organization-based professional development, I like doing peer-to-peer professional development because I'm comfortable with my colleagues. I mean, there's already that layer of familiarity and I can ask questions, I can run things by them that I'm unsure about. And um, it feels easier to try new things and fail, um, especially when like doing things like the teaching circle, which I participated in and I was paired with someone that I felt comfortable with. And I could say like, I'm really not sure about these learning outcomes or I'm really not sure about this assessment or this really failed, like, how do I make this better? Whereas sometimes that might not work. I mean, especially at a conference, you don't get to dig deep and do something like, you know, a long-term or like even over a month trying something with someone. So, um, but sometimes it depends on your library. Um, it can be a great way to work with colleagues you don't normally work with. Uh, on the staff development committee that I'm on now, I work with colleagues from our New York City campus who are in reference, who I normally would see very rarely. So that's helped me to develop relationships with them. Um, and of course, I've had positive experiences at my institutions, but others might not. Um, there's maybe people who aren't comfortable opening up with their colleagues for a variety of reasons. And it does depend on your environment that you're working in. Um, you know, we know the research exists on toxic work environments and low morale in librarianship, so we don't want to discount that. Um, but it 
at the very least, if there's a way to allow people to choose who they work with, uh, that can create a safeness to the experience. And also, which we're going to talk about and have talked about a little bit, is choosing the level of participation you feel comfortable with. So, you know, that can alleviate a little bit of, um, of issues if you don't have that layer of comfortability with your peers, um, which I have been lucky enough to have. Mm. Um, also, if you participate in the planning aspects, those are great skills to transfer to external organization or committee work, which is especially great for newer librarians or those who are just getting involved in big places like ACRL or ALA. And you're able to practice those skills in a more familiar environment at your current organization, like planning LibCon, you know, planning a lib an internal library conference, then you could use that experience to maybe get onto a planning committee with ALA. Uh, and the same goes for presenting. If you present to your colleagues, it can be way less intimidating than going straight to like a state or a national conference. Uh, and then lastly, I would say many times at work, we get stuck in routines. We don't feel pushed to be creative either because of our schedule or you know, lack of opportunities within our responsibilities. So sometimes peer-to-peer -peer development like the teaching circle or LibCon um, or like your uh, discussion board workshop that I took, um, those are like job approved moments to use your time to think outside the box and try new things. So the teaching circle, for example, was how I learned to use the technology Nearpod, which I might not have set aside time in my schedule to put like learn Nearpod, um, or I would have kept pushing it back and back on my schedule. But the teaching circle was a way that, you know, management approved way to try this new thing. So I think it can really improve creativity and innovation. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of like piggyback off that, I think it also builds confidence. Um, you know, I think by empowering your, your team um, to teach others, they become more confident, like, as you said, in their presenting skills, and their and their teaching skills, because like, you're teaching someone how to do something, you know, so it's definitely transferable. And they could feel I think another thing that's great benefit is that they could feel they're having a positive impact on their library department. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so like an example is like I kind of mentioned this earlier, we all support our lib chat right and we used to have a reference like lib chat committee and that committee did um, analysis of chats and they did like a best practices workshop and i think what was so great about that is that you know, they were able to help our librarians improve on their skills. And I think that's great because it's like they're helping their librarians, but they're also helping themselves because they're learning all these different things about like the services that they didn't know. Um, and so I think it's like great twofold kind of opportunity. I think it also creates a positive work environment. Um, you know, it could inspire others to improve and create. Uh, change and it could impact also it could impact their decision to stay at your institution in some cases where you know if you've created such a great culture of learning and lifelong learning and you know the flexibility to be creative you know I mean I think at Berkeley that's one of the things we always used to say you know is that we are given flexibility to be creative and present and learn new things and try new things um, so I think that definitely is one of the benefits to peer to peer. Mm -hmm. um, I lost my train of thought. I wanted to say something. Oh, so an example of of the you know could inspire others is um, 
a colleague of mine at the time, we did a workshop on um, presenting and how to how to actually do like presentations. And Jessica actually worked on a proposal with another colleague and they ended up presenting at a conference. Right. Um, and actually a few other librarians ended up coming out of that workshop more confident and actually going and applying for conferences and presenting. So I think like that's just, you know, case in point that, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to kind of inspire others. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember doing that. That was fun. <laughs> and I think I was pretty new to Berkeley at that time. So yes. it, right out the gate, it made me feel comfortable with those people. And then with the idea of presenting, which was a big part of the culture there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what, that wasn't always the case. At one point, it was just like me and one other person who was presenting. And then I'd say five, six years later, it was like everybody was presenting, everybody was working on articles, publishing and all this. And it's just, we developed this internal culture of learning and, and improving and, you know, presenting. So I think it's definitely culture is so important. Um, and then I think the last obvious benefit that I kind of already mentioned is that it's free. You're, yeah. you're tapping into your expertise. So like you have your librarians going out presenting teaching other librarians at other institutions how to do things, why not have them do the same thing at your institution, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, definitely an untapped resource. So with the benefits also come, you know, it's important to think about, you know, the challenges and the pitfalls. So what do you think could be some of the challenges and pitfalls of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, professional development? I think the first one people might be thinking about, even as they're listening to this, is going, how do I have time <laughs> to be a part of these experiences, right? Like, especially something um, big like LibCon, like that might be required and management makes time for people to participate. And that can be helpful support to say like, yes, you know, set aside that thing that I gave you, please work on your LibCon presentation because, you know, we're all doing it. Um, but that doesn't mean that people have time to present at LibCon. They might only be able to help with the one of the planning aspects. So um, if their job responsibilities or schedule doesn't line up, they might not have time or the resources to be a part of it. But I think that's an important part of um, giving those different opportunities because maybe they don't have time to present at LibCon, but they'll have time to be a part of a 20 minute um, ACRL framework conversation. So a, a challenge is definitely time. Uh, and the other one I mentioned before is not feeling comfortable in your job environment. If you are just, you know, not happy where you are, you don't jive with your coworkers, there's microaggressions or, you know, a big toxic environment then people are not really going to want to be involved in these situations, even if it is beneficial to them. So um, there might be for managers, a separate starting process of creating, of boosting morale and creating a safe environment first, and then creating a culture of learning. Um, but that could be a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I guess I would say, you know, ensuring that there's a variety of perspectives being presented. Uh, for our virtual journal club, we try very hard to make sure that um, different topics are represented in the articles each month so that we're not always talking about instruction or collection development, um, you know, because I'm on the 
me and one other person are on the instruction team. The other two people are in reference. So it could be easy for us to just fall back on what we know, but like we have people in cataloging and tech services and archives and um, diversity and equity. So we wanna make sure that we spread that around. <laughs> um, and we wanna make sure that we're also, you know, talking about things that aren't involved, that aren't discussed in mandatory trainings. So to kind of spread things around and we allow anyone to submit articles or ideas and do surveys every once in a while so that people can anonymously submit ideas. Cause sometimes people, again, having part of that culture being, um, providing low stakes options for submission and um, anonymous uh, yeah. submissions. And we make an effort to partner with our DEI committee so we can kind of cross collaborate and support their work in the library. So we try to really um, make sure that everybody has an opportunity to participate in some way. Mm. But that can be challenging. You really have to think that out. So it takes time on the part of the people organizing it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanna go back to one of your earlier points about, yeah. um, you know, that you know something like LibCon that was required and management makes time for people to participate. So uh, just a little backstory, because I think some people might be thinking, well, this isn't the culture at my institution. Um, right. We, when we first, when I first came onto Berkeley, we had these things called kickoffs. And it was like a one day or a two day thing where like people from other departments would come into the library and talk to us or like we would like have a meeting about like numbers and stuff like it could have been an email kind of sort of deal like it was nice for us to be in the same room but like it could have been an email yeah and and my my supervisor was like like she was into it but like she wasn't really into it and like I was kind of like me and my colleague we were kind of the driving forces because like I remember one year she's like oh you guys still want to do that and we're like yes we want to do it and we want to take over if you'll give us that leeway we think that this is important to, to motivate and set our librarians up for the year because like we did it during the summer so like mm. we're like we were the driving force so like i guess my recommendation to people is and i know we're going to talk about the steps but like just like on this vein of like it being required like you might not have that at this point but you can get there. You can get to a place and advocate for making something like peer-to-peer -peer required for people to, you know, to grow and like, you know, advocate to your, your management that it's important um, that, you know, people are learning from each other. Right. So start where you are. You started with what you were required to do and you transformed it. Right, right. So some of my um, experiences with, um, you know, some of the challenges or pitfalls is that, you know, people may not see themselves as an expert in anything to teach anything, you know, to their peers. But I, I you know, I definitely respectfully disagree. And I think mm -hmm. there's ways to go around that. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier to, um, to maybe have people be, you know, say, you know, write down one thing that you're really good at at your job, one thing that you think you do really amazing at, um, and then get them to kind of brainstorm from there. Like one thing that I do, like, oh, I have this really great cataloging hack or something, or I, um, you know, I, I'm really good with 
um, you know, getting students to open up in the reference question interview, you know, phrase or whatever phase, you know, so I think, but th that could be a challenge that where they're like, I don't have anything to share, I, you know, I'm not going to participate. Another challenge um, and pitfall is leaning on one person too much. You know, I think it could create a toxic work environment if the same person is selected to lead the development all the time or to be asked to present too much. Right. Um, I think people could get, you know, kind of upset about that and say, well, like, oh, you know, Amanda, she does everything anyways. You, you know, like, I don't yeah. need anything um you know what is you know what does amanda know she doesn't know everything you know so i think it's important to not do that um you know one of the things about libcon and our peer-to-peer -peer development i think the reason it was so successful is because it was on a volunteer base we did not force anybody to participate um, to present we did not force anybody to be on the planning committee um, so I think that was the driving force of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was one of the way to like kind of not fall into this trap of people feeling like they're doing something that they don't want to do. Right. And I think my last pitfall um, recommendation thing would be that it's so important to solicit feedback and not just do it how you've always been doing it. So um, I have an example before we did um, our kind of mini conference and called rebranded it as LibCon, we were doing these things that we thought were great. Um, we were pairing people together and asking and assigning them topics um, to work on it. So like one year, like it was me and two other people that I never work with. We had to do a short lightning talk on digital literacy and people were resentful. People were not happy about it because they felt like this topic has no meaning to me. Why am I being forced to work with these people that I don't know? Um, so I think it's important to solicit feedback and then actually use that feedback to, to improve um, and you know really make it more on a volunteer um, kind of basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Find out what people are are interested in learning about and because then although then it's not peer to peer then it's mandatory management pushed training <laughs> right and then right. yeah and then like another thing with with feedback is like um asking them what they're interested in so like every semester before the start of the next semester i would say to people okay are there ideas that you're interested in learning about like let me create a workshop that you guys are going to find valuable not that i think you need to learn what exactly. do you want, what are you struggling with in terms of instruction and what do you want me to teach you so yeah. like that was always helpful um and that really like kind of guided how i created peer-to-peer -peer, um and how i also tapped into other like librarians and said hey our librarians are interested in learning how to transcribe you're a good transcriber you this is your thing this is your space are you interested in facilitating a peer-to-peer -peer workshop, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So just to wrap things up, the last question is, you know, what are some practical steps somebody or a library could take tomorrow to get started with peer-to-peer -peer development? Yeah, so I would say um, a good one might be to make a suggestion to a committee that already exists. Uh, in my case, the staff development committee that I'm on does the virtual journal club. 
uh, and I was a founding member, but like if we didn't exist and the diversity equity inclusion committee already did, I could suggest that that committee try a journal club and explain how it could benefit their goals um, and make a suggestion, or I could make a suggestion like on an event um, or committee to a manager that I think would be receptive, right? Like if I have an idea and I know that this manager is open to, to new ideas, uh, I could provide a suggestion to them. Um, and if you'd feel more comfortable, you know, get some buy-in first from a few colleagues and then make the suggestion together, um, make it kind of a group effort to, um, to make that suggestion. And kind of similar to what we were talking about before in terms of improvement, uh, you could look at your job responsibilities, think about the things you want to improve on. Um, are there ways that you might be able to work on those areas in a group setting? Uh, are there ways that you are there things that you admire about your colleagues and you want to learn from them? Uh, for example, are you really proficient at making rubrics and people always ask you about it and they're always asking you questions? So suggest a session, you know, would anybody like a workshop or um, a live wizard tutorial or uh, a blackboard um, discussion board workshop? Uh, suggest that session or make something out, make like um, make a learning object that people can use, at least start there, start small uh, and kind of thinking about it that way, thinking about both what you want to improve on and what you're already good at. Mm, yeah. So I have a few uh, recommendations. One would be to, um, you know, maybe at your next meeting, have a conversation and say, you know, um, is there any interest in attending any type of peer-to-peer -peer development? Um, and is there any interest in participating? Um, also be the first one to start off the peer-to-peer -peer learning. Very, very, very long time ago, we used to, go to conferences or attend webinars and we would have to share our notes of what we learned with the group. And that was just one small way that we were learning from each other. It was very passive, but it was still something. It was still us learning from each other about an idea um, right. or a skill. Um, so, you know, maybe start there. Maybe, you know, you attend a workshop and you say, hey guys, you know, these are some of my takeaways. Um, and you know, this is these are the things I learned, and here are the links to the resources. You know, very passive, but then maybe you build upon that. Maybe you say, you know, I really love this idea. I really think this is going to help our library. You know, can I create something where librarians are learning from me about this idea? I really think I have a, a good handle on it. Um, I also think, you know, we kind of talked about participation levels. So if you are going to do something like a conference, an internal conference, give people different levels of participation. Like maybe they don't want to run a workshop. Maybe mm -hmm. they want to run, maybe they want to do a, a five minute lightning talk. Maybe they want to run a, a like a, a round table. Maybe they want to plan something with a group of people and not by themselves. I right. think giving people options and different levels of, of participation, I think it's you know important. And I think if you're a supervisor um, or a director, you know, bring this group, this idea to your group and be open yourself for making space for your librarians to do these types of activities um, amongst each other. Because I know when I first started, I was like kind of like excited, but like also felt like I was doing something wrong when we were given time during our workday to work on professional development. 
Right. You know, like I was like, am I really allowed to be doing this right now? Like, this is so great. You know, I thought it was great that I was during work time. I was allowed to learn um, and improve on my job. So, you know, if you're a director, you know, start to think about how do you create that culture where you want your people, you know, learning and improving their skill set and telling them that it's okay to do this during work hours. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely agree with all those. And I think a common thread of getting started is listening and having conversations, right? Like you have to know yourself, you have to know your colleagues, you have to know your, um, you know, those that you're managing and supervising and having honest, open conversations about what you're good at and what you want to learn. It can't have the culture can't develop without that. Right, right, exactly. So I hope there's a few takeaways there for everybody about this topic. It's definitely not, you know, something that, you know, what am I trying to say? Like, it's definitely not a new idea, but I think it's something that people forget. And I felt like this was so important for us to kind of talk about, um, especially during these times where budgets are getting slashed and people still want to learn and improve their skill set. So don't forget those untapped resources. So now we are going to move on to our triumph, fails, or recommendation. What do you have for us today, Jessica? So I have a triumph and a fail. Okay. So uh, my triumph is that I did outreach um, a couple months ago to different um, professors in different disciplines that I'm interested in and feel connect really well with the framework. And um, I hooked up with a journalism professor who um, in our our initial conversation after the outreach email, she was really interested in the SIFT strategies. And I told her I was building a module around it. And so um, I created a separate SIFT module that was targeted to her global newsroom class. So it was about international news and using those SIFT evaluation strategies. Um, And it was kind of challenging in a way because like the strategies are really meant for, you know, everyday people to fact check and um, learn the context around things. But I was able to kind of fit the strategies into what could be used by journalism students. So it was, it was a great connection to make with a new professor and a new discipline, a discipline I'm interested in, um, and then kind of really stretch my brain <laughs> in terms of using this strategy that I teach students, but using it in a different way. So that was really cool. And I'm hoping that um, I can work with them in the future. Mm, exciting. Yeah, so that was a fun one. Um, and my fail is well, not that bad, but it was just annoying. So I had a professor email me who I've worked with in the past and say, you know, can we use this resource that you gave me last semester? It was really great, but I changed the assignment. Um, so here's the here's a new assignment, but she gave it to me in like a blurb form, not really like the whole written thing. Um, so I guess, you know, cautionary tale, don't do what I did, ask for the actual written assignment. Um, because within her blurb, I completely misread the fact that it was gonna be a group project mm. and that students were gonna be working in groups of four and each of them needed to find one article on a particular type of psychology. So I created a searching form thinking that each student needed to find four articles, mm. but it was each student finding one article. And so it just made my searching form assessment way more difficult to grade because what some students, what some groups did is they all emailed one student all their articles 
which would work out fine, but then I have reflection and searching questions. So I only got reflection searching questions from the person who submitted the form for that group and not the other three people. Uh, so I, I wasn't able to give feedback to every student, which I normally like to do. Yeah. So it just put a little bit of a wrench in providing feedback to those students. And I felt kind of like a failed missed opportunity to reach out to them each individually. Um, so read your research assignments, people. <laughs> <laughs> I did not read mine appropriately. And, you know, we teach students to do that. And I did not. <laughs> oh, that is a bummer. So, learned. Yeah. What about you? So I have, I don't know if it's my fail or if it's a student fail, but I feel like it's my fail. So I have a fail <laughs> and a triumph and on a high note. So my fail is that um, a few weeks ago, I just finished uh, wrapping up all of the annotated bibliographies for our honor students. And um, they had to talk about their first 10, they had to do a, a mini annotated bibliography, it was like the first 10 sources. And then they had to build upon it and then do 25 sources. And I just feel like a failure because I feel like so many of these students did not take my recommendations from the first annotated bibliography assignment. And I just feel like, why? Like, why didn't they take my recommendations? Did I not make an impact? Like, did they not, did they not care? Like, um, you know, we were, we, um, it hasn't been released yet, but we, we have a mini episode about ungrading and assessment. And one of the things that we talk about is um, how when students see a grade, they don't look at the feedback, they just focus on the grade. And a part of me feels like, well, maybe that's what happened, that they focused on the grade and the number and they didn't mm. care about anything else. True. Uh, so like, but I'm just so upset because it's like, I felt like a broken record saying the same thing, saying to them, you know, like, as I recommended to you in the previous assignment, you shouldn't really be using this source and here's why. Um, and they just did not take my recommendations. So I just feel like, I feel like a failure and I feel like it didn't make an impact. Yeah, that is discouraging. And I, I feel like I had the same kind of thing this week. Um, but I think part of it is just more like the class culture mm -hmm. of like the, I did a, a tutorial with students and um, they did a searching form and I sent them all, all 15 of them, like customized feedback on their sources and their topics and zero responses. <laughs> so it's like, you know, is it just that it's the end of the semester? Is it that everybody's like super over, you know, Zoom classes and, and synchronous learning, even though my part was asynchronous? Like, I feel like everything this past year is going to have the little asterisk <laughs> of like, this is what happened, but hey, don't forget like COVID times. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. That is frustrating though. It is frustrating. And then my triumph, it's so, it's it's a little elaborate, but I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> so um, we've been going through a huge reorg at my institution. Um, and a lot of that has changed the way librarians support faculty. And unfortunately, it's been a little bit of a challenge. Um, and, you know, in theory, it's 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 an interesting idea that our you know our supervisor at the time was like, oh, this everything has to be faculty led, you know, not prescriptive, faculty led. This is what faculty want, 
So, you know, the way you used to do things and make recommendations and do curriculum, try to develop curriculum maps is not something faculty want. However, the triumph is that in this time and space during the reorg, it has been coming out from faculty that they do want a curriculum map and they do evolved <laughs> in different ways. They've just never had to articulate it because we've always been reaching out to them um, in that sense. So it, it's kind of like a triumph in a sense of like, you know, validation. Like mm -hmm. I told, like we told you that we know our faculty and that, you know, this, this is what we would recommend and this is what they need. Um, so it's like, you know, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm like trash talking my job right now, but like, it's just like information literacy is so important to me. And like, I've been so stifled these past few months. And like, I'm just so excited that like, I'm a little validated and yeah, vindication, you know, man. Faculty <laughs> are, are being forced to say, no, I want a librarian to do X, Y, Z. And no, maybe we should have a curriculum app for information literacy. And I'm just like, yes. Right. Exactly. So excited. So like, you know, it, it, you know, so exciting times. So we'll see. That's great. That's a good triumph. And I will give a quick shout out to um, one of our listeners, um, Megan Andrasek. Apologies if I said her name wrong, but um, we, she has been helping us to up, get updated on our transcripts. So on our website, I have been posting the ones that she has been um, transcribing for us, which has been a super huge help for us. Um, and I hope for you, if you'd like to use transcripts um, for our episodes. So uh, we are slowly doing like one every week-ish or so. Um, and we're catching up. So thank you to Megan. And uh, I hope that uh, that's something that uh, people find valuable. They're, we're catching up, people. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Megan. We appreciate it. So that wraps up another episode of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching. Uh, here's where you can find us. You can find the podcast at librarian underscore guide. You can find Jessica at librarygeek611. You can find me, Amanda, at historybuff820. And you can always email us at infolitteachingpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We would love to hear from you in the reviews as well.